Hi, I'm LeVar Burton, and this is LeVar Burton Reads. In every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them, and I hope you will, too. You know, as artificial intelligence improves and we assign AI and robots more and more human tasks, of course, there's a huge discussion about what actually makes us human. Maybe one of the things that makes us unquestionably human is our failings, or more accurately, our struggle, our struggle to love, to believe, to endure. Today's story is about religion, AI, robots, and the human struggle. Sin Eater is about a robot visiting the Vatican long after most, nearly all, humans on Earth have left their bodies. Their consciousnesses, and possibly their souls, have joined the cloud. But there is one person remaining in the sea of robots who still wander the earth. Now, in centuries past, there was a tradition in Catholicism of a member of the community referred to as a sin eater. And their job, their function in the society, was to literally eat the sins of the dead or dying. Originally, the sin eater actually ate food prepared by the deceased's family. But over time, the meal disappeared from the ritual. Now, this was a valued service to the community, but the sin eater was shunned. After all, who wants to hang out with someone who's full of everyone else's wrongdoing? The story is by the multi-award-winning British author Ian R. McLeod, who's written The Light Ages, The House of Storms, The Great Wheel, and a host of short stories and novellas. His most recent collection is Ragged Maps, and it includes today's story. Please do check out the written content advisory in the episode description if you are so inclined. And now, if you're ready, let's take a deep breath. Begin. Sin Eater by Ian R. McLeod. Many weeks after it had first received the summons from the sting of a lone server bee, the robot finally entered the ruins of Rome. The great city was as empty of life as every other place it had passed through, its once-bustling alleys and busy thoroughfares filled with nothing but ghost flurries of snow. As it reached the ruins of the central district and lured by its semi-human silhouette, the city's remaining inhabitants began to emerge. Rusting waiters in Tattered, long-tailed suits gestured towards broken heaps of tables. Guidebots called out in the cracked tones of a dozen different languages with offers of private tours of the Colosseum, the Pantheon, the Forum, whatever was left of the famous museums, and, of course, the great Basilica of St. Peter's, whose dome, whole but still seemingly mostly intact, rose over the rubble ahead. The pleasure droids looked even more convincingly alive and thus pathetic, preening amid the shadows with proffered glimpses of worn-out synth flesh and damaged orifices. Although to the robot's heuristic thought processes, the lesser service machines, which were still heedlessly attempting to maintain this city, street sweepers clamoring frantically over debris, Window cleaners meticulously polishing heaps of shattered glass led an even less enviable existence, at least 
assuming such devices possessed any conscious awareness of their own. Beyond billows of dead leaves and sooty ice drifts, the vast oval sweep of St. Peter's Plaza finally loomed into view. Here, the robot, a tall, thin figure carrying a battered carpet bag, its faded face fixed into an eternal mask of compassion, its dirtied feet emerging from the tatters of its robes, paused. Even though the central obelisk was now toppled, the vista remained impressive. It was ascending the wide throw of steps leading toward the pillared main entrance when it heard a voice over to its right. There you are, at last. Turning, the robot saw a small but approximately humanoid servitor emerging from a side door. It's this way. The servitor's stained apron flapped in the wind. Thorns of underlying metal poked from a beckoning hand. His holiness is waiting. The doorway through which the robot followed the hurrying little machine was unimposing, but the corridors and spaces beyond were uniformly grand. Great friezes poured down from cracked ceilings. Damp, mottled walls were punctuated by crazed mirrors and vast, dark paintings framed in waves of peeling gold. Halberd-bearing quasi-military droids in moth-eaten uniforms, which the robot's databanks identified as the remnants of the Papal Guard, creaked to attention. The effect was dramatic, despite... The evident decay. So, you work here, it asked, as much to test its continued abilities to converse aloud as to elicit any information from the figure scurrying ahead. Yes, yes, always. The servitor looked back, a frayed headscarf framing a face its designers had once shaped into a compliant smile. What else would I do? Then you must have seen many changes. In a way, yes, but also no. At least, not until now. His Holiness, he still calls me Irene, which is the name he gave me when I was first installed. He still, even sometimes, well, you must see for yourself. The servitor turned the ornate brass handle of a final doorway and waved the robot through. The room beyond, if it could even be called a room, was long and high, with tall windows and an elaborately curving roof. The robot's first thought was that it had been wrong about all the rest of the Vatican. None of it was that impressive, not compared to this. Even for a merely sentient machine, the sensation of being surrounded by these miraculous billows of color and light was almost overwhelming. Rather than simply understanding that this echoing space was intended to inspire awe, awe, or something close to it, was what it actually felt. At least... Its sensory inputs and heuristic thought processes were sufficiently provoked for it not to become instantly aware of the steel-framed bed which stood at the chapel's center. When it did, it walked slowly forward. The bed bristled and hummed. Server bees hovered. Pumps clicked. Wires, pipes, and nests of cable jumped and shivered. It seemed at first as if the body which lay at its center was the only lifeless thing in this strange tableau. But the robot was used to seeing death, or had been, and knew that this was not it. So it set down its carpet bag and waited 
in stillness and silence as it had done many times before. Once, back in the days of humanity's first great joyful leap into the realms of virtuality, there had been tens of thousands of its kind. But now, it suspected, at least from the absence of any other answering signals, and the great distance that server bee had traveled to find it, that the rest were either in absolute shutdown or had succumbed to terminal mechanical decline. Dead, in other words, it presumed, or at least the closest a machine might ever come to such a state, as the old man's near-translucent eyelids finally fluttered open to reveal irises the color of rain and the spasm of a smile creased his ancient face. You're not what I expected, whispered a voice that, for all its faintness, still held a hint of command. From the message I received, I believed I was wanted. You're wanted, all right, if wanted's the word. His throat worked to draw up saliva. It's just that you look like some ordinary household droid. My appearance was designed not to cause alarm. And cause what instead? Ready submission, dumb acquiescence, easy acceptance. Here, the thin mouth grimaced. I can't lie flat like this. Help me up a little. But be careful of those tubes. Anxious server bees flitted and batted as the robot gently raised and resettled the eggshell lightness of the old man's head. Is that better? At least I can see you more clearly. People used to call you a sin eater, I believe. The robot would have shrugged had its inner metal frame been configured to perform such a gesture. Although it found the link with its services to be tenuous, its databanks were certainly fully aware of the practice in several cultures of one human taking on the sins of another to ensure a better afterlife, often through the eating of food, and it had indeed been called such a thing many times. Technically known as a transfer assistant, but you can refer to me however you wish. <laughs> transfer assistant. <laughs> oh, it's good to know your makers had a flair for the anodyne. People used to call me your holiness, you know. I'm sorry, your ho- No, no. I mustn't fool myself into imagining you're more than just another machine. Still, I am, or once was, Pope Pontian II. The first Pontian held this office in the third century after our Lord, and I chose to assume his name because what little we know of him suggests he was kind. Pragmatic. He was arrested and tried for his beliefs in the reign of the Roman Emperor Maximinus Thrax. But instead of enduring some horrible martyrdom, he agreed to retire to Sardinia in exchange for an assurance that other Christians would be allowed to continue to practice their faith. It's not much of a story that I know, and there are many far more spectacular popes. Pope Julius II, for example, actually led the armies of the Holy See into battle. Can you believe? He also commissioned this ceiling 
the old man's hand wavered up towards where, almost directly above them, Michelangelo's Adam reached out to receive the spark of life from God. But look at me now. Here. The steel bed hummed and clicked. Is there really no one else left out there? Has every other soul already transferred? Once again, the robot might have shrugged. There may well still be humans living corporeally somewhere. Perhaps out in the colonies on Mars, or the geodesic farms which were being developed in the Antarctic, or even in some remote wilderness. But it's been decades since I, personally, have encountered a living human detected any signs or signals indicative of their presence. The Pope lay still for a long while, as if the rarity of his long vigil had been unknown to him until now. The robot had discovered many times through its dealings with clients that humans were capable of believing things which went against the evidence of their own senses and intellect. Let's get back to our story. This thing you bring used to be termed a mortal sin. But I suppose you are aware of that as well. The robot raised and lowered its head in a creaking nod. Pope Pius XVI issued an encyclical that in don't patronize me, sin eater. Although many bishops and cardinals had already transferred by then, and they issued their own counter-encyclical in reply from the far side, such are the rifts and schisms which have always characterized my church. But my own parents, they were honest, simple-hearted Catholics of the old kind, who believed death to be the absolute will of our Lord, and expected a resurrection of a very different kind. They put off transferring till it was almost too late. My mother's knees were an agony to her. My father's heart was so weak he could barely stand. When they did, it was at my prompting. They transferred together, which was only right. If anyone deserved a chance of living a better life on the far side of virtuality, it was them. We still used to talk and exchange regular messages, at least for the first few months, and I never doubted that they were still the people I'd always loved, nor that they were far happier and more fulfilled than they'd ever been when they were corporeally alive. They found a village very much like the one they'd both grown up in, and my father worked his own fields just as he'd always wanted, and my mother sowed and pressed olives and raised chickens and all the seasons were beautiful and the feast days were spectacular and there was never any sadness or pain. There was even a fine old church presided over by the same priest, you believe, who'd once married them back in this world. But they started to find new interests. That, and they began to travel. At first, they simply visited all the places they'd longed to see here on Earth. Although, of course, they were far more wonderful. Venice, not as a stagnant swamp, but risen back, and then far beyond its Renaissance glory. Rome, of course, but in the full pomp of both its pagan and Christian incarnations, instead of the sorry ruin it had already become. 
and several versions of the holy city we could barely describe. And from there, we began to drift apart. Soon, all I was getting from them were brief messages, followed by a silence which continues to this day. The old man sighed. All of which I know, Sin Eater, is an old, old story. But I still pray for them. At least when I can bring myself to pray for anything at all. The robot simply waited in silence, using its many sensory inputs to monitor the old man's physical and mental state, along with the subtle interactions of all the many implants, chemicals, and nanoagents which had kept him alive. For the story of how the newly transferred dwelled for a while amid the familiar foothills of old memories, before making the full leap into boundless virtuality was indeed common. Well, the old man snapped. Aren't you going to get on with it? Again, the robot raised and lowered its head in a rough approximation of a nod. But first, you should be aware that the process I will help guide you through is entirely reversible, at least until the final moment when you, and only you, elect to transfer or not. Will there be any pain? None beyond that which you are already feeling. Then even that will go. And what's left of this body, it will simply be dead. Yes. I'd be grateful if you could lay it in the catacombs beneath the basilica where many other popes are interred. The servitor I call Irene will show you the way. It is always my duty to obey the deceased's final requests. I should have done this years ago, you know, said Eater. I mean, what use am I now? But I told myself that I was the last of the living line of St. Peter, and that I should strive for life. (laughs) Or at least wait to die in the old-fashioned way. But I've come to realize that my procrastination was just another form of vanity. For who am I to imagine myself above something that all the rest of humanity has embraced with such joy? Still, I'll admit it feels a little strange to be lectured on the transmigration of souls by a robot. I do not pretend that of course you don't. You're just a bloody machine. The other thing you should be aware of, the robot continued after it had waited for the old man's agitation to subside, although I'm sure you know this already, is that The transfer process involves another element of decision. It paused. Despite its long experience, it had never quite found the best way to express this. There are bad feelings, difficult memories, and regrets in any life, no matter how conscientiously lived. So, as the data singularity opens, you have a choice as to which of these things you take with you into the far side and which you leave behind. It paused. The old man's pulse and breathing remained slow and regular. It may be nothing more than a small childhood incident or a slight problem of temperament or a relationship that went awry. In other words, something you wish had been otherwise than it was. The old man chuckled. (laughs) You make promises even our Lord does not make. As I say, 
I am merely here to facilitate the process. Where is it, really? He sought a word. I mean, the singularity, the far side. Is it deep in the sea, or up on the moon, or out in deep space? In geographical terms, it's in all of those locations, and many others, with multiple power sources and endless redundancies. Some, as we speak, are even traveling ever farther away from Earth. They are all entangled at a quantum level. May I proceed? Taking the old man's silence and bodily signals as continued ascent, for humans often didn't respond directly to machines, the robot snapped open the clasps of its carpet bag and produced a long steel and glass instrument that resembled a syringe. It was filled with swirling, glinting fluid. What is that thing? Merely a data spike, which, with your continued consent, I will use to make a small hole in your skull to introduce the nanofluid, which will initiate the process of entanglement within your brain. It will also briefly forge a bridge between your consciousness and my own heuristic circuitry, so that I may ensure that everything goes as it should. And if it doesn't, it always has. You might feel a slight vibration, but as I have said, there will be no pain, and every part of this process can still be reversed. The robot closed its carpet bag and moved carefully and quietly, despite a few creaks, until it was standing directly above and behind the old man's bare skull. It could already feel the beginning tug of entanglement with the activated nanofluid that its own quantum processes, which were made of a similar substance, were striving to make. The tiny drill at the head of the data spike made a shrill, brief whirring as it drove through flesh, bone, membrane, and cerebral fluid. Then, the seeking liquid flooded out from the data spike, multiplying and entangling with billions of synapses in the old man's brain. It feels cold. People often say that. The sensation soon passes. Soon passes. The blurred echo of its own semi-human voice, but now dulled by the old man's hearing, confirmed that the neural connection was forged. Soon there was more. The robot saw itself as the old man saw it, a ragged and limping yet pathetically sinister machine. It even felt the inherent self-disgust that he disguised with his irritable manner, and the confusions of dread and excitement that churned beneath. Yet it also saw the Sistine Chapel as only a human with the great knowledge this man possessed could ever see it, not just as an artistic masterpiece, but a resounding statement of belief. You're with me now, aren't you, Senator? Words were no longer necessary as the surface of his consciousness, the aches and the itches, the confusions and petty annoyances swirled wider and deeper, then darkened and dissolved. For a moment, they were nowhere at all. Then there was a sudden blaze of noise and sunlight, and the robot heard the cries of children and the cluck of chickens and saw a small hamlet of disorderly roofs and stony, irregular fields hunched beneath sheer white mountains, and it knew that this was the old man's childhood home. Voices. Smoke-blackened kitchen beams. A smell of garlic and warm dough, and being lifted, laughing, high, by smiling giants into the windy sky. Then a mule or a donkey nosing its head through a sag-wired fence. 
Then, squatting over a stinking pit in an old outhouse that buzzed with flies. So it went, sounds and scents and images flowing on through the stations of a life, from the chalk-dust boredom of a tiny schoolroom to the stubbly prickle of his father's jowls. Kicking a football and pushing a hoe, the shivering leap into the flashing brightness of the village pond, the hurt of a torn knee, kicking its thistles in the upper meadows after the pointless drowse of Sunday church. Then Sophia Alfonsi, with mystery in her eyes and a stem of grass between her full lips and the amazing press of her bosom through a whole long summer until the seasons turned and her look grew frosty hard as the winter ground. But I thought... But you said... But I believe... A torment from which somehow only the dusty faces of stained-glass saints in the old church brought any relief. Let's get back to our story. His parents were disappointed when he announced he wanted to become a priest. Surely he could do something more practical with his gifts. Become an engineer or maybe a doctor. Then at least they'd have grandchildren to cherish. And many lonely walks across the upper meadows consumed. He realized eventually with little more than self-importance. But by then, it seemed too late to back down from his supposed vocation. The weekly bus bore him and his cardboard suitcase away to a big city, where he argued endlessly with old men in drafty rooms about all the bad things that happened to good people and the Bible's many contradictions and the rising seas, and the pestilential climate, and the great tide of humanity which was already escaping this ruinous world. But somehow, he was praised and admired for this endless doubting, and marked out as someone destined to go far. So he mouthed the holy words and raised the blessed sacrament, and dutifully climbed the ladders of Mother Church, priest to bishop, archbishop to cardinal. Was this a test? A joke played by a god he didn't believe in? That he should rise so high and be called a man of great faith when he had none at all? The papal election itself was a farce, with few of the remaining living cardinals physically capable of attending fully in charge of their wits, and others who'd recently transferred still insisting on their right to vote. Was there white smoke? Was it black? Did it still matter with the papal Swiss guard replaced by droids and only pigeons, rats, and bots waiting outside in St. Peter's Square? But at least Pope Pontius II was already a seasoned scholar of irony, and he still had a duty, yes, to keep this final vigil as penance for a wasted life. And there were always leaky roofs and rotting woodwork, if not matters of theological nicety, to attend to as he wandered the Vatican's empty halls. Even when his own body started to fail him. He dealt with it in the same practical manner and called his personal servitor Irene and slowly submitted to the indignity of a life dependent entirely on the workings of machines. Days went by like years, but the years fled uncounted and death still felt too much like giving up. But even If transfer was just another empty promise, he was curious. And he still, yes, had fond memories of his parents 
and wondered if Sophia Alfonsi had perhaps also made it to the far side. So he finally sent out many server bees to search of a surviving example of the appropriate machine. And the Sin Eater had come. Deus pater misericordiarum qui per mortum et resurrectionem filii sui. The old man was close to transfer now. The ties which bound his consciousness to his body were growing thin, and they were back inside the Sistine Chapel. But it was up-tilted like some great vertical shaft pouring with baroque clouds and beams of sunlight as a massive something swirled far above. So that's it, Sin Eater? Yes. The data singularity turned and turned. It was a vortex. It was a galaxy. It was a hole punched through reality. It was the light at the far end of a tunnel. It was the mouth of a virtual womb. And all I have to do is let go? Yes. Whenever and however you choose. The robot felt the old man's shivering excitement as he teetered at the edge of everything, just as he had once stood at the lip of the village pond. Then, in a final surge of joyful acceptance, he was gone. As always, after the climactic moment, the robot found it took a number of seconds for the regular, unentangled patterns of its circuitry to resume. And, as usual, as it stood over yet another dead and emptied body, the eyes blankly staring, the flesh already starting to cool, it became aware of how great the difference was between life and death. With a few quick switches and signals, the pumps and monitors were stilled. Next, it reversed the polarity pull of the data spike, causing the liquid, now darkly clogged with unwanted synaptic residues, to withdraw. The robot had had clients who were petty sadists or outright psychopaths, some of them unrepentant, who thus made their own private hell by dragging the bad things of one world into the next. But most of its clients had judged themselves far more harshly, and the things they left behind could be touchingly small. A word misspoken or an unkind look were often enough to blight an entire life, Still, the bleak weight of the old man's lack of faith, which it could still feel tugging at the edges of its heuristic consciousness from within the turbid nanofluid, was surprising. And, as it placed the used data spike back inside its carpet bag, it wondered whether Sin Eater wasn't such a bad title for its work after all. It was just placing a small adhesive patch over the cranial puncture and batting away the still surprisingly agitated server bees. Perhaps they possessed some kind of gestalt consciousness when it heard a knock at the far door and the face of the servitor the old man had called Irene peered in. I'll miss him. It shuffled forward, reaching out, to touch a marbled hand with the scarred synth flesh of its own. I really don't know what I'm going to do. Miss him. Don't know what I'm going to do. The robot made no comment on these unduly human expressions as it finished removing the various inputs and catheters from the body, for it was not uncommon for machines to become more than a little like their masters. 
This might even explain the continued motility of the server bees, which had drifted up to darken the image of Adam, receiving the spark of life from God. Now, all that was left was for the robot to carefully lift and bear the body of Pope Pontian II down to the catacombs, which apparently lay beneath the basilica, with the little servitor carrying its carpet bag and showing the way, although the server bees also followed them out of the Sistine Chapel, and the Swiss guards fell in squeakily behind to form an odd procession until they reached another deceptively small door leading into St. Peter's itself. Although the robot's databanks contained the precise details of the basilica's dimensions, it appeared astonishingly vast. The side chapels alone were the size of churches, and the central dome, for all of the litter of fallen beams which lay beneath it, glittered with threads of gold in the day's settling light. Then, as the robot moved towards the steps behind the main altar which led down to the catacombs below, the far main doors boomed open, and what seemed like every mechanical device still capable of movement in the entire city came rushing in. Clearly, the information of the old man's death had passed rapidly from server to server, and in the absence of any other useful task, it seemed almost logical that they should be here. It was important that the robot was allowed to complete these last aspects of its designated role. Yet by now, the sheer number of cyborgs, crawlers, guidebots, pleasure droids, modules, service machines, and semi-autonomous devices, along with the never-growing cloud of server bees which had poured into the basilica, were obstructing its way. Claws, pincers... Synth-flesh hands and numerous other appendages were dragging at it, disregarding its signals of complaint, whilst even its vocal apparatus was soon clogged by the server bees which swarmed across its face. Next, the old man's body was torn from its grasp and borne away. It couldn't move, let alone object, as it was lifted from its feet, even though none of this behavior made any coherent sense. Nor could it understand why some of the larger and less humanoid construction automata were fixing two of the fallen roof beams beneath the central dome into the approximate shape of a cross. It caught a glimpse of the little servitor the old man had called Irene, but it too was being engulfed as the carpet bag was torn from its grasp. The robot was borne up by a sea of metals, plastics, and synth flesh until its arms were splayed against the cross, and the data spikes, which had spilled from its carpet bag, both the fresh and the used, were driven into its hands and feet by clouds of server bees as the cross was raised high. Still, though, it seemed that this was not enough, for yet more of the exhausted data spikes were now plunged through the synth flesh and metal of its skull to form a black, dripping crown. It could feel the leaking synaptic residues of many different clients entangling with its quantum circuitry and experienced whole lifetimes of regret disappointment, and hunger in one sudden rush. It heard the rattle of gunfire and the smack of fist against flesh and the sneer of harshly flung remarks and glimpsed a single small child's pained and puzzled face. It even saw how this once verdant world had been abused and exploited until it no longer seemed worth the bother of being saved. 
Although several of its major systems were approaching overload, it could still make out enough of the scene around it through the fluids streaming across its synth flesh to observe a climbing, crawling, grinding, tumbling, buzzing mass. And here, and yes, almost understand their combined howl of mechanical rage. For machines often became like their masters. And had it not brought about the end of any reason for them to exist? Yet as server bees stung, and the droids of the papal guard stabbed at it with their halberds, the crucified sin eater tilted its head toward the basilica's central dome, which was now filled with the blaze of sunset. And in the moment of final shutdown, it forgave them all. The author of this story, Ian R. McLeod, in a rare move I find by writers, provides a, an afterword for this story. And in it, he talks about religion in general as promoting, and I quote, a fundamentally flawed worldview which blocks social progress, stands in the way of human and racial equality, and is an obstacle to scientific progress and objective truth. After all, and after so many centuries, if there was any credibility to the various claims made by the world's major religions to be conduits for the will of God, they surely wouldn't all be in their current mess. End quote. Now, I have, as you well know, talked in the past about my state of being an ex-Catholic and some of the struggles and conflicts that I've had with religion, organized or not, over time. But what really drew me to this story is the idea, and, and this, this happens just as the story is getting going, the author says the robot had discovered many times through its dealings with clients that humans were capable of believing things which went against the evidence of their own senses and intellect. Wow. That hits the nail on the head for me. That is our fatal flaw, I believe as humans, that we are capable of believing things which go against the evidence of our own senses and intellect. And what's troubling to me these days as I look at the, um, the social sphere that we all find ourselves in and the chaos that's all around us, right? I mean, my, my motto these days is I am learning how to surf the chaos. But the chaos is of our own making, right? We've done this to ourselves. Globally. Nationally. On a community level. In groups small and large, we have sabotaged our own mission to rise to our highest level of expression. To help one another, to be our best selves. Surfing the chaos means to me that I have to redouble my efforts every single day, standing in the truth of what I believe to be true, that we are here for good, to do good. To express from that place that religion at its most basic self encourages 
us towards. And so even though religion works for a lot of people, and even though it doesn't necessarily work for me, I can see its value in terms of at least setting the table and pointing us in a direction that at least puts us in the neighborhood of why we're here on this earth. To believe things which go against the evidence of our own senses and intellect. Boy, that is indeed our fatal flaw. And if we are to get out of this man-made mess, we are absolutely going to need not only each other, but our own good sense and intellect. But more than anything else, we're going to need our innate commitment to doing the right thing. No more complicated than that, I don't think. But then that's just me. Our producer on this episode of LeVar Burton Reads is Julia Smith, the best in the business, y'all. Our fabulous researcher is L.D. Lewis, always happy to have you aboard, my sister. Our editing and sound design by the extraordinary Brendan Burns. Thanks to Talon Stradley for his invaluable production support. Our original theme and credits music is by our own Brendan Burns. My thanks to Ian R. McLeod for allowing me to read his story today. You can find it in his new collection entitled Ragged Maps. And if you're new to Ian's writing, there is a huge pile of other works of his to check out. You can find a list at ianrmcleod.com. If you like the podcast, one of the best things you can do to support it is to tell a friend. Just pick an episode and send them the link. Share the short fiction wealth. LeVar Burton Reads is a production of Stitcher and LeVar Burton Entertainment. Our executive producers are Josephine Martirana and yours truly, LeVar Burton. And if you want to find me on the internet, I'm LeVar.Burton on Instagram, at LeVar Burton on Twitter, or the LeVar Burton on TikTok. You can also go to LeVarBurton.com. And hey... If you want to join my book club, go to fable.co slash LeVar. We're reading together, y'all. Come join us. I'll see you next time, but you don't have to take my word for it. Stitcher. 